Crossroads is a church for people journeying toward thriving faith in Jesus. We covenant to help people move people through our four objectives. By helping you, your neighbors, and friends discover Jesus by being a vibrant worshiping community that is a trusted presence in greater Baltimore. By making it simple to belong to our church family. By assisting you to identify your unique role to play in God's story and by offering support as you develop a personal faith that functions and serves in today's world. This is our mission. Together, we will help many people, including you and your family, flourish through life's crossroads. Welcome to Through Life's Crossroads. This is me, Pastor Tim at Crossroads, and we're talking about what's going on at Crossroads, and we're trying to use this time in a podcast during a pandemic as a way to grow in Christ and to have other discipleship means. Today, I am joined by Pastor Liz Powers, our small group pastor. Say hi to the people, Liz. Hey! It's so good to have you here today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about discipleship and ways that we're trying to structure to have people in our church grow in Christ. And um, I think in a busy world, uh, discipleship seems to be li losing ground in churches all across America. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And so uh, it seems to me that it's really, really important. I, I don't know that I want to go back to the old model when I was a kid or maybe when you were a kid. You're a little younger than me, where discipleship looked like going to church three times a week, two, two hours each time, six to seven hours a week in the church. I don't think I want to go back there. No, I remember as a kid, I mean, uh, we went Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and then sometimes even more than that. And, yeah. um, and twice a week or twice a year, there were uh, revivals where yes. someone came in from Wednesday through Sunday and we were there every night. Yes, yes. So I, I agree with you. I like that we are shifting away from that. Um, so I'm excited to see what is to come. Yeah, but what we need to be careful of, I think, is that as there are less times that the church is open, we can't be spending less time developing our faith. Yes. So there's that other side of the coin. We need to make sure that even though we're shifting away from that multiple meetings each week, we still need to make sure that we are diligent in putting our time in towards God and growing our faith, but maybe in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. And so that's why at Crossroads, we do small group ministry. And we've done so for, for years and years and years. But uh, we're, we're always trying to think about how to tailor that to the lives of our people. The things that worked 10 years ago don't work now necessarily. And the things we're doing now probably aren't going to work in 10 years from now. And that's all okay. But we're trying really hard to spend some time thinking about the world we live in, uh, how people operate and live, and trying to create opportunities for people to connect with one another in God in the situation that they're in, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So before we get too far, you've been coming to church here for about two years. You've been on staff for about six months now. Yeah. Um, I thought it'd be really good for those who don't quite know you other than just a face on the screen, you saying this weekend at church, I thought it'd be really good to give you an opportunity to talk just a little bit about you and how you came to this role and the story of what God is doing in your life. So could you tell us a little bit about what you studied in school and what you did before you got here professionally? Yeah, great. Um, I uh, went to Olivet Nazarene University. Good school. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's it's in Illinois, about an hour south of Chicago. Do you and know anyone else um, 
of real quality that graduated from such a fine institution? Well, uh, Pastor Timothy Brooks. That's right. Good point. <laughs> Good school. Um, I knew I, I absolutely loved chemistry and uh, in high school. I loved it. And I thought if I love chemistry, I need to go into chemistry because there aren't very many people who love it. I also knew I loved people. So as a result, I thought, you know, being a teacher, I think that's for me. And I do think that was for me then. Um, I, I graduated from Olivet, met Thomas, my now husband, um, and I taught for five years. I taught middle school science, and then I taught two years of high school chemistry, and I loved it. I mean, I knew I was living what God wanted me for at that time. Um, I loved interacting with the students. I absolutely love studying God's creation and seeing how it all fits and how there's, I mean, to me, studying science made me uh, an even stronger Christian and it was so much more in awe of God. So I think that was a, a great um, a great start to my career. And I, I, I loved it. However, when I had my kids, I decided I wanted to stay home with them. And um, as much as I love being a teacher, I love being a mom even more. Um, but my husband and I got really far involved in, and I'm going to be moving into my call to ministry, but we got really involved in um, youth ministry at my previous church in North Carolina. And we absolutely loved the teens. We loved that. Let me interrupt you and ask okay. a question real fast. Yes. How'd you end up from Illinois to North Carolina? Okay, great. Um, Thomas and I both graduated from Olivet and then Thomas wanted to get his PhD in aeronautical engineering. So he went to NC State University. So Thomas is a rocket scientist. Basically, yes. And it's always good to have friends like that. Yeah, yeah, he's pretty smart. That's great. He's okay. A good one. So you guys are in North Carolina because Thomas is doing a PhD and you're going to a church similar to ours. Yes. In uh, the the Raleigh area, because that's where NC State is. Yes, yes. And so you're work. Okay, go ahead. You're working with teens. There. Okay, so now we're in Raleigh. Yeah, thank you for filling in the in the dots. Um, now we're in Raleigh, and I'm teaching, and we are going to Raleigh First Church of Nazarene, and we are really involved in the youth group, and I mean, we just fell in love with these teens. We just absolutely loved them. We loved service. We love serving. We led small groups for the teens. We were there Wednesday nights. And um, the youth pastor even asked me to preach here and there. And that's when people started coming up to me and just saying, uh, Liz, I think that you might, I think that there might be something here. Maybe you want to look into being a pastor. And I would just, I would just laugh. I mean, haha, no, not me. Never, ever in a hundred years. I mean, God wanted me to be a teacher, and now he wants to be a mom, period. I want to be clear that that's how every pastoral story begins, <laughs> every single one. When people say to any of us, you know, God might be calling you to be a pastor, the answer is always, yeah, <laughs> no. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, yeah. So, um, but after, after I would say maybe two years of, of active service in the church and of getting constant uh, reminders from the people in my life that maybe there was something to it. That's when Thomas and I decided that we would take a weekend retreat away. Um, this was pre-kids and we took a couple nights, about two hours from our house and we just prayed and prayed and prayed. And at the end of the two weeks, we realized, yes, God was calling me to something um, bigger than just being a mom. He was calling me to ministerial leadership in some aspect. Uh, it wasn't for right now. So that's that's one thing I knew. Not now, but begin preparing. So that's what we did. We came home. We said, wow, Liz is being called to something um, in ministry and we're going to start preparing. So that was that was at this point, maybe four years ago. 
Um, so I've been on the journey of preparing and now I'm in my, my first role right. as a pastor. Yeah, that's awesome. So you guys moved here and you moved here mostly because Thomas finished and he's working at the applied physics lab yes. now, mm -hmm. uh, being a rocket scientist <laughs> Yeah, which is very cool. And, um, and you arrive here and, uh, start coming to crossroads and we talk and you tell me this story about how, uh, you have a, you have a call to ministry and you've been wrestling with it and. At the time, there was uh, no particular role here, but I started asking you for a bunch of different things. Like, you want to do this? You want to do this? And it was all not quite right. Yes. And this um, this role came up, small group pastor, and it kind of brought together some of these passions and histories that you're talking about. Exactly. I mean, my, my um, start as a teacher is very related to what I'm doing now. I mean, and I, I felt in January a year ago, I really felt like, God was preparing me for something this year. And it didn't really make sense, but this was 2020. And I, I just thought, I feel like there's something big coming. So there were a few people who asked me to serve in different avenues. And I just, I felt I needed to say no, because I knew God was, God had something for me. And so it was really cool when Pastor Tim called me in June, I think. Yeah. I, everyone thought something big was coming in January yes. of 2020. <laughs> yeah. Which seems like it was 17 years ago exactly, at this point. Exactly. <laughs> you might be the only person that was expecting something big in 2020 <laughs> and actually got it. Exactly. That's awesome. Well, great. And so, um, so 2020 has caused us to um, not not only because we've made this shift in leadership, um, but also the world has changed in so many ways in the last year. And so um, one of the things that that you and I, and as well as our executive pastor, Jake, and our whole pastoral staff have had to think about is what does ministry look like now in this and then in the world that is to come? Because I don't think any of us can, can truly be honest in saying we know what 2022 and 2023 and 2024 is going to look like. I think a lot of us hope it looks more like 2019. Um, but there, I think there are things that um, that have happened in this last year that we'll take with us. But um, I, I'm not smart enough to be able to guess what things I think those things are. You, you know what I mean? And so um, one of the real challenges, I think, in pastoral ministry across the board, whether you're at a church like Crossroads or a church like Andy Stanley's or a church that's running 17 in the country, uh, no matter what church you're in, you're having to kind of do your best to read the tea leaves of the time we're in and build something for the world that's going to emerge out of this pandemic. And I think, I, I, I truly think we're towards the end of it. We're not over the hump, but I truly think we are seeing the end. And hopefully by the summer, things will look more normal. Now, by then, we'll have gone through a whole year of small group in a whole bunch of different itinerations, right? Mm -hmm. And that's just locally at Crossroads. But like, no matter where you're at, if you're in like a, a, a pandemic skeptical state in middle America, or you're in a lockdown, highly, uh, high, high virus content place like New York City or LA, no matter where you are, you've had to do something different this year, right? Yes. And so, um, so through all of this different, we're trying to articulate what our true hopes are in terms of small group, what our, what our true goals are, what of all of the things, of all of the options in the world, what is it that churches really want when they're talking about discipleship or small groups, right? I mean, that's centered to kind of how we're thinking about. It. 
So I ask you as really our leader of, of this at Crossroads, what is it that you think is most vital, most central to what we're doing? And what are the hopes that you see coming out of that at Crossroads? As we just think locally, when you talk about the really important things, when you so, many, so much has been pulled out this year, what are the things that are vital to small groups? And, and how is it you're hoping to cultivate those things moving forward? Okay. Thanks, Tim. Um, I think what small groups really do is that they really help us to belong. And what Pastor Jake says all the time is that small groups take a big church and turn it into more a small a small church feeling. And that's what I think small group does. And I I really do feel that despite everything that happened this last year and everything that may still yet to come, I really feel like small group is a ministry that can can last past anything that can be thrown at it because um, in my own personal experience, when March hit and life was crazy and we had no clue what was going to be happening, small group was a big part that pulled me through. I mean, my I was in a group currently and we were doing great meeting in person once a week and all of a sudden, bam, our entire world changed. And we really just, okay, we had to switch to being virtual and that was a change, but we really pulled together and we were there for each other. And that's what I see small group doing, that no matter what happens in your life, um, the good, the bad, the, your group's there for you. And it's a group of Christians who can point you towards God in the most darkest moments of your life. And so although a lot of people I know during the pandemic were like, ooh, this is not a good time for me, small groups, it's just another thing to add. And I understand that. I mean, this year was crazy. However, in my own experience, small group is what really helped me get through it. Absolutely. Knowing that once a week I was going to get together virtually with a group of believers who were going through the same thing as me and knew the struggles, knew what it was like to have a two-year-old and a one-year-old in the house in the pandemic when you can go nowhere. I mean, we got together and we shared our frustrations and we laughed about the funny things, but it was really nice. And so that's what I see small group doing. It's going to connect together. Um, Christian believers, and so that they can be there for each other, we can be there for each other, no matter what the future holds. Yeah, you know one of the uh, one of the jokes in the world before you and I were born was um, in the height of the Cold War, where people were really really scared that there was a possibility of nuclear fallout and war and all this stuff. Is that people were preparing with bunkers and and stocking it with? Uh, so I'd see these TV shows from before I was born, and the joke would be. Who's the crazy person who's built a bunker just in case? And then, you know, there'd be movies around this or whatever. It's a joke that doesn't quite resonate with my life. I I grew up with Reagan tearing down the wall or, you know, calling for the wall to be torn down and Bush pulling it off, right? But um, what's interesting about those stories and that history when I read it is there was a recognition that when uh, struggle was coming, you had to be prepared, like preparing for the struggle that was coming. And in a world where uh, we we don't have those kind of fears that our parents grew up with, um, I, it seems to me like we're a lot less prepared for when bad things happen. And what's interesting is, as a pastor, I'm with people all the time. There's always someone who's in crisis in the church, right? This family got a cancer diagnosis. This family has a child who was has a has a disease. Now this family is going through a marriage crisis. You never know what's coming your way. None of us knew it was coming our way in 2020. That was a huge deal, right? But 
one of the things that I think is great about small groups is that it's an investment in preparedness that when your moment comes, and I hope it doesn't come, but when your moment comes, your small group is like your bunker. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, small groups are wonderful when life is great, but they're even more vital when life is hard. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you just recently, I think of, uh, some people who have had surgeries that were unforeseen or, um, diagnoses that they weren't planned for and small groups who rallied around to make sure there was food for them, that they were taken care of, that they, they weren't ready for the struggle that came and people came right alongside of them right away. And it's hugely important. And it's also when it's not you and it's someone in your small group, your heart breaks, but it's a really good feeling to feel useful as well. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. so there's the double thing, like not only, not only does it help you if your struggle comes, but it also gives you purpose and meaning when it's your friend or the person you're living life with as well. So, uh, so is there anything else in terms of small groups that, um, I mean, that's the thing that you kind of like pulled out through this year is what's, um, uh, what, what, what's really central and vital to small groups and rightfully so. Um, is there anything else that you're hoping for or, or longing that people will see or a direction that you're wanting to, to help guide our leaders in our small group ministry into to help more people experience the joy that you had and that you've heard other people talk about as well in their small groups. Yeah. In general, I'm really, I'm really hoping this is my, this is my large overarching hope for small group ministry is that we see a much larger percentage of people involved in small groups and that I really want to have like even a cultural shift in the church itself that small group is not just an extra option to add on to your schedule, but rather it's what we do. Small group is what we do. If you are a, an attendee, a, a member of Crossroads Church of the Nazarene, you join a small group. Yeah, so that's absolutely. what I would really like to see because I know in my personal experience, it's meant my small group has meant the world to me. And it's, it's, it's drawn me closer to other Christian um, friends, but it's also drawn me closer to God. And I want I want everyone at Crossroads to be able to experience that. Absolutely. As well. And hey, I'm the preacher and I totally believe that my one sermon a week is not sufficient. Yes. Doesn't matter how good it is. It's not enough. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. And the Sunday sermon's great. But what small group does is it allows you to then move your faith throughout the week. So you're not just going on Sundays and hearing the sermon and then leaving Monday and going to work and moving on with the rest of your life. Instead, there's something midweek that's also forcing you to think about God. And hopefully that allows you to then start thinking about God every moment of your day. Yeah, that's the ultimate goal. Absolutely. And it, it also worship is worship. And, and we think of the sermon as part of worship and we should be worshiping with our life. But we started this off by talking about discipleship as well. And this is really about discipleship. It's about solidifying the worship so that you become someone and that someone isn't just someone who puts an hour on their schedule on Sunday morning, but someone who is following Jesus into their life. I've got a statistic story to tell you, Liz. Okay. Okay. So um, I know not everyone listening to this has been involved in the Church of the Nazarene their whole life. You and I have been Nazarene most of our life, but uh, that's not the case with most people at Crossroads. And so uh, please excuse me if this doesn't land with you like it does with me, but this is an important story to me. Um, so... We, we generally, in 2021, understand how big or solid or, or vital a church is by their Sunday morning attendance, both in the Church of the Nazarene and anywhere. In fact, I was just looking at Wikipedia this week. They were talking about the largest churches in America, and it was all by Sunday attendance, okay? This is how we judge 
how vital a church is by how many people go to Sunday morning. Okay. Another particular problem with that, I get it. So, but in the Church of the Nazarene, for the first uh, for the first 70 years, 65, 70 years of history, there was a real emphasis on Sunday school, which which matched the American Christian church ethos. This was, um, uh, Sunday school was invented in the late 1800s. It did not exist in Jesus's time. It was not something that St. Augustine went to. Sunday school is a fairly recent phenomenon, and it was the major emphasis of the Church of the Nazarene, so much so that the Church of the Nazarene did not start counting Sunday morning attendances until 1973. Mm-hmm. Until then, the records that they kept were Sunday school attendance. And so churches until 1973 were deeply invested in discipleship, especially in children. So there were bus ministries and there were Sunday school drives and all of these ways essentially to get people into the small group ministries of its time, which was the hour before worship. And if you went to an average church of the Nazarene in 1970, you would see more people in the Sunday school hour than you would in the worship service in the next hour. Some people would go home. Some people would be bused home. There were more people at Sunday school than there were in worship. Hmm. Sunday morning service has always been important. We've always loved preaching. There's preaching in the Bible, right? But the shift of the church away from discipleship into worship in our denomination, I can't speak for Baptists. I can't speak for Presbyterians, though I suspect they have a story story that's similar. Our shift in the church, the Nazarene from emphasis emphasis from the nine o'clock hour to the 10 o'clock hour, if you will, happened when the request came that we measure the second hour as primary. Mm-hmm. And so that has shifted how pastors like me, I don't want to take myself off the hook here, have put all of our time and energy in making a good, vibrant worship service mm-hmm. and kind of put on the back burner this idea of discipleship. Not that we don't want it to happen, but but it's not where I spend my time during the week. And, and if I'm really honest, it's because what people are measuring me on is how good our worship service is, both in terms of our membership, my superintendents, everyone is judging how good our worship service is. And so that's where I put my energy into. But it's really interesting to think a little bit about what kind of church we have created in America by shifting that. I mean, the, the, the good answer, like the holy answer probably should be, we should care about them both equally. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's probably true, but... We only have so much capacity as leaders, no matter what, right? Yeah. And so um, so this always gets me thinking about what kind of Christianity we've created moving away from, from emphasizing development and discipleship and small mm. groups and digging into the word together where people have the awkwardness of having to look each other in the eye and having to have something to say mm-hmm. versus moving to a worship service where the pastor does all the preparation and there's no chance to respond or to ask questions or to work through. Yeah. Um, but but we become consumers in in that second service as opposed to participants in the first service. And I think one of the things we're trying to do in uh, in small groups, no matter what, I mean, like, look at Rick Warren's church, Andy Stanley's church, all of the famous churches the last 20, 30 years in America are doing discipleship really well. I mean, this is an emphasis. And so we're really trying to catch up to what we need to be, right? But... Um, but we have some work to do to move back to that old way of making sure that we're finding times that we're 
conversing and wrestling and digging and being in smaller groups where there's a little bit of pressure on us to be participants. Uh, I think we're going to create better Christians that way. What do you think? I, I mean, I agree. I think that the temptation with just coming to Sunday morning church, the worship service is that you come as a spectator, but with small group, there's more accountability. There's, yeah. there's more of that engaging participation that would be um, expected of you when you attend group, but that's going to be resulting in more spiritual growth. Absolutely. And the accountability includes uh, more likely to be noticed when you don't show up. Exactly. Exactly. Right? And and these things are terrifying. I think, I think to really think to make yourself accountable to anyone is, uh, is a discipline that, that very few of us love, but I think accountability is central to the Christian life, both in terms of uh, both in terms of showing up, in terms of doing your homework, in terms of having something to say, in terms of looking people in the eye and telling the story of your life. I'm not real sure how you can grow as a Christian without a little bit of accountability in your life. No, I mean, I would agree. I would agree. And I, I mean, I think our worship services are great. I love going. I look forward to Sunday morning. I love the worship. I love the sermons. Um, but if I don't have more in my life throughout the week, then I find that that's it. I just come and, and enjoy the service and then I leave. But so we have to be diligent to put more things in our, in our lives that are, that are going to be drawing us closer to God and to each other. Absolutely. And I'm telling you that as the most regular preacher here, I totally agree. I cannot do enough work in 30 to 40 minutes on Sunday to help you live a robust Christian life. And that's central to my goal. Even in preaching, I want to draw you closer to Christ, but I can only be one part of that. And, and I'll do everything I can to do the best I can to be that part, but it's only one part. It's not sufficient. And so that's why we do small groups is to create a more robust environment, hopefully with one that fits into your busy life. We take your busyness so seriously at Crossroads, but we do ask that, that you can put in a second hour into your week so that you're putting a little skin in the game as well into your own personal growth. So as we head towards the end, um, one of the things, Liz, that we've been doing at church is starting to emphasize this new concept of sermon-based groups. And um, I, I want to be clear to all those listening, this was not my idea so that my sermon resonated more. Uh, this was actually something that... Um, that we borrowed from another church that's doing it successfully all the way across the U.S. in San Diego area. And so uh, you and I, Pastor Jake, Doreen, we read together a book called Sticky Church. And it's about Larry Osborne's church in, uh, in the North San Diego area. And his belief is, take it for what it's worth, that it was creating a robust small group culture around the sermons that were the catalyst for their church to take off and grow. And when he arrived there, I think the church was about 100, and now it's about 7,000. And they meet in like 50 different services across five or six different places in the metro area. And for, for him, this was it, sermon-based small groups. Um, what do you recall about that? What were his emphases about why that worked so well? And, um, and, and what's the theory behind that? Why would, we, why would we bring that to Crossroads? Okay, well, the first thing is that the whole idea of the title is Sticky Church. And that's, we want the people who enter our doors to not only come, 
but to stay, to keep coming. And he, um, Larry Osborne felt that small groups, sermon-based groups particularly, were the way to get people to stick, to stay. Um, so we work really hard here at Crossroads to have a quality Sunday morning service. I mean, that people want to come to, but it's, it's these small groups that are going to get people to want to continue coming because then they have that close community, that, that close group of friends that they're drawing together in, in God together. And so that was the first thing, the whole reason why we have the title sticky church. And then the second thing is this idea of the sermon based group, which I have now been leading a sermon based group since September. And I know Thomas and I, we have loved it. We've loved it. And what it, what it does is it forces you to really Think about the sermon, not just on Sunday mornings, but throughout the week. And I'll tell you what, I like to think that I listen really well. Um, but when I know that I'm going to be in a group where they're going to be asking me questions about the sermon, it really forces me to be engaged during the sermon time. I've got to listen because my friends are going to be asking me questions about it. And I can't look at them with a deer in the headlight saying, uh, I missed that. So it really forces me, um, to first of all, listen to the sermon really well. And pastor Tim has great things to say. So it's really good that, that I listen better. And then the second thing is that I'm, I find myself thinking about it throughout the week. And so we as Christians, we don't believe that we're Christians one seventh of the time, right? I mean, we're supposed to be Christians 24 seven, not mm -hmm. just on Sunday mornings. And so knowing that we're going to have a small group asking questions about the Sunday morning service forces us to be thinking about it throughout the week, which I think is just great. Absolutely. And I could, I could tell you as well, here's confession time. You ready for this? Um, if you ask me on a Friday what I'm preaching on on Sunday, I can tell you. But if you ask me on a Tuesday what I preached about last Sunday, even I as the preacher, I'm like, yeah, what did I say this week? <laughs> right. And so I can't even imagine what it's like to not to, to be a person who didn't spend 20 hours the week before digging into it. Right. Yeah. And so this is an extra way, an extra way to to dig into Sunday morning and to try to let it sit with you longer. Exactly. I mean, like you, I mean, I haven't been preaching, but like you, I mean, I'd be sitting down sometimes. I mean, this is horrible. Sometimes on the Sunday lunch with my family and they're like, what'd you think of the sermon? And I mean, I listened, but at that point I'm like, uh, I mean, it's already out of my mind. Yeah. So is it Shirley who asks you what you thought of the sermon? Uh, no. Oh, you said your family asked you. Oh, my you. family. So I wasn't sure if it was your one-year-old. <laughs> no. <laughs> No, um, I guess it was Thomas. Yeah, yeah Thomas, okay. <laughs> or like if I'm I'm eating with my parents, they'll, they'll yeah. talk about it. But <laughs> no, not surely yet. Lillian may though. Lily, yeah, that's yeah. Right. <laughs> um, no, but it I I think that it's it really forces you to be allowing that Sunday morning very valuable worship time to then have an impact directly and to actually apply to your life. Um, Monday through Saturday. Absolutely. And I think you nailed the big things. But one of the small things that I appreciate about this as well is that it's low preparation. Oh, yes. Right. So um, so I've been a part of the small groups before and I, I like studying and learning. So um, so it's not usually a bother to me. But I've been a part of the small groups before where you've got to read 40 pages or do your workbook or whatever. And and um for some people, that's great. For me, I like that stuff. But I don't think I'm normal in this regard. I think a lot of people feel like having to read 40 pages for small group, which is coming quickly every week, um, can feel like a burden that adds more and more busyness. One of the huge 
undercurrents, I mean, this is not the main purpose, but one of the huge undercurrents is that this is low preparation. You show up. That's what you do. And you've come prepared because you are part of the church on the weekend. Yeah. And the great thing is it's low preparation for members of the small group, but it's also low preparation for the leaders of the small group because they're provided the discussion questions. And um, it's great. I mean, your only preparation is listening to the sermon actively and thinking about it throughout the week. And I think that that's great preparation, but it's not busy work. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Great way to put it. And so those are some of the reasons that we've moved towards this. But, you know, let's be honest, we've not cut out old plans either, right? And so there are other options as well. And uh, frankly, I don't see in the near horizon where we move to this only. But um, but I think this is a, a, a valuable add to the menu of options at Crossroads. But what are some of the other things that are happening right now in small group ministry that aren't sermon-based small groups? that um, just just give people a taste of the multiple ways you can get involved. Okay, um, well, there are some groups that are studying scripture. I know that um, Jeff Tavares's group is studying Romans, which is an excellent book. If you've not read Romans, you've got to read Romans. Um, he's on the second half now. Um, Doreen's group is studying First Samuel, I believe. So there are some groups that just study scripture, which I think is amazing. To be diving into scripture together with 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 a group of of believers is very valuable. There are some groups who are who have been studying um, a, a a book, a certain book, and um, they have been good studies as well. They've really enjoyed that. What I like too is that our our groups, we have a wide variety and diversity of our groups. So there's a group for everyone. There are some that are women studies and some that are men. And then there are some multi-generational. There are some based on certain age groups. So multiple times during the week, and we've got some virtual and in person. So really, I realize things are crazy now, but there is a group that is for anyone, anyone who would want to join a group, there is a group designed for them, which yeah. is really cool. And that's certainly part of what we're wanting to be, right? As a church, we value deeply diversity, right? Diversity in terms of uh, ethnic, socioeconomic, location, age, all of that stuff matters. And so we want our small group ministry to look like this value that we have. Yeah. And I realize I, I something else that we've been offering big time with the, with the coronavirus is uh, virtual groups. And I lead a virtual group and I realize a lot of people have said, oh, I don't really want to do that. That's awkward. And, you know, being on Zoom or being on Google Meets, you know, it can be a little awkward. But um, I found that it's it's really quite nice. You still um, get to know each other and they're small enough groups that you don't have like 50 people on, on Zoom all at once. It's like a group of like five to 10. And and it really is is not it's really not too bad. I found that it's been really nice. And actually, to be honest, it's kind of nice not having to get in the car and driving somewhere. Just turn on your computer and you're ready to go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If I never have to show up on a Zoom meeting again, I'll be just fine. Okay. I'm with you there. <laughs> I will tell you, Zoom meetings, I uh, dread. So anytime someone says it's Zoom, I dread, except one exception is my small group. Wow. That's great. Yeah. That's great. Well, hey, as we close this up today, I, I just wonder... Um, you know, some people are are maybe suspicious. They may think small groups are a fad or something like that. Um, and of course, when we dig into the scripture, we're not going to be able to find the word small group, right? But what are some of the, the scriptural uh, bases or, or calls or convictions that you have that lead us to lead in this way as Crossroads? Yeah, thank you for that. That's a great question. 
the main thing is that all throughout scripture, the Old Testament and the New Testament, God makes it very clear that he intends his people to be communal. Um, the Christian faith is one of community. And I'm going to throw out some examples here. It all starts with creation because few th- a couple things. God created man and female, male and female, and he encouraged us to be fruitful and multiply. This shows from the very start that he intended us to be a community, a, a, a being of community. Um, Jesus, Jesus had his 12 disciples. Yes, he, he went through multiple towns and locations and places and preached to thousands, but he had his core 12. And even on top of that, he had his core three, even more so than the 12. So Jesus, our greatest model, showed us that you need a community of believers to lean on in those hard times and the good times. Pastor Tim has preached about this a couple times, but the Lord's prayer makes it very clear. Our father who art in heaven. I mean, it begins with that word our, that means that we're praying that prayer in community together. That means Jesus's example of how to pray was to say, pray in a group. Um, And then Acts 2 is when the Holy Spirit comes at Pentecost and the very first start of Acts 2 verse 1 says, individuals do not receive the spirit. Uh, No, sorry. It says when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That's what it says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And this shows that in that time when the Holy Spirit came down on the believers and they had the tongues of fire and they all spoke, you know, different languages, but yet they all could all could hear what was being said, which was an amazing time. It was not individuals that received the spirit. It was the group and it was done in a group setting. I think that's very, very, very clear what's going on here. And then verse uh, Hebrews 12, 14 says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy without holiness. No one will see the Lord. And uh, me growing up Nazarene, the second half of that verse talked about a lot among holiness, Christians, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. But I think the first part is what I want to emphasize here. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and be holy. And there's so many verses throughout scripture that talk of how we should be treating each other and and making peace with each other and having unity with each other. And it's just making more evidence that we need to be doing everything we can to to really live in this community of faith. And I think small groups is a way that that can happen. That's great. Holiness is relational. It's in our relationship to God that we learn to be holy. And then the fruit of that holiness is expressed in our relationships with one another. And that's lived out in small groups. It also looks like Jesus's two commands, right? Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor as yourself. So this idea of holiness, of being completed in God is about being right with God and showing it to your neighbor. Exactly. And so uh, small groups are a great, great way to put this into practice, to bring your faith into into completion in, in community with people that you learn to love. Pastor Liz, thank you so much for joining us this week. And uh, for all you who are listening out there, I hope this has been encouraging. If you're in a small group, uh, keep giving yourself to it. If you are hesitant to join a small group, we hope you've heard something today that has urged you into thinking that maybe, maybe this season is time to give it a try. Yeah, thank you, Pastor Tim. And thank you all for listening. Thank you for joining us for Through Life's Crossroads. This has been a ministry of Crossroads Church with Pastor Jake and Pastor Tim. We encourage you to continue to engage with us online throughout the week on Facebook at Crossroads Church of the Nazarene and also on Instagram, Crossroads Naz Church. Thanks for joining us for this episode.